I remember shooting 64 in the first round and going in to eat lunch and I couldn't eat for 40 minutes. Why is that? Because you looked at the scoreboard so, and realized? I looked at the scoreboard and realized like I have a chance. And I was so nervous. Were you leading by? I was tied for the lead. With? Rod Pampling. And I'd seen Rod's name growing up and I was like, <laughs> I should not be tied with Rod Pampling right now. The entire now. field is filled with PGA <laughs> yeah, exactly, players. Exactly. Names was, you've seen on leaderboards before. Yeah. Uh, I was playing with Martin Flores and I, I beat him in the morning and I was in a, an uncomfortable place. But then I went out on the first hole and made like a 20-footer for birdie and nerves completely went away and was able to play a really solid round of golf and shot 68 and made it by two. This podcast and the many that follow are proudly brought to you by our partner, Titleist, the number one ball in golf. Now, as it relates to earning an edge, our friends at Titleist have been the leaders since the early 1900s. And in order to compete and win at the highest level, frankly, there's no room for second best. For this reason, the best players in the world Trust Titleist. Welcome back to the Earn Your Edge podcast. I am Corey Lumberg from Altus Performance. And this week we are excited to share a conversation with one of our own. We've got an Altus client, Cole Hammer, has a really good conversation with his coach, Cameron McCormick, on this week's episode. And even if you're not dialed into junior golf or the amateur golf scene, you may still recognize Cole's name from his appearance as a 15-year-old at the 2015 US Open. And since this conversation, Cole has started his freshman year at the University of Texas and wrapped up his junior golf career in pretty impressive fashion where he won the U.S. four ball early in the summer, won the Western Am, and then reached the semifinals in both the U.S. Junior and the U.S. Am. And more than just the results, Cole very much represents an ideal client for us at Altus. He carries himself with cool confidence. He's got this really great warmth and friendliness about him, but he's also really driven to continue to get better and to work really hard. So in a lot of ways, he represents a a great model for young golfers to try to emulate. And for those reasons, we're excited to share more of his story and giving him opportunity to share with you how he handled the recruiting process, his experience with early success and how he's handled the pressures along the way and a few more really important topics to those looking to follow in his footsteps. So I'll hand it over to Cam and Cole. Please enjoy episode 21 of the Earn Your Edge podcast with Cole Hammer. Welcome to the Earn Your Edge podcast. Today I'm joined by Cole Hammer from Houston, Texas. He's an incoming Longhorn golfer with accolades that would, I guess, start with the current world amateur golf ranking of 29th in the world. That's the world amateur golf ranking, just for emphasis there. He was the third youngest player in history to qualify for the U.S. Open at age 15. He played at Chambers Bay, where I first met him, and most recently won both the Azalea Amateur and also the USGA Four Ball Championship with his uh, playing partner, Garrett Barber. Welcome, Cole. Thanks, Cameron. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So as we mentioned, or as we discussed in the early part of like explaining what this is all about, is we want to tell a story and a story that other players that might look up to you and certainly parents that look up to uh, both players and parents alike to understand what it's like to chart a journey from first sampling of golf as a sport and then beyond into how do I get better at this game and learn from your experience, so to speak. So as a starting point, I think 
uh, what we'd like to do is tell us your story of your first recollection of golf. Where was it and why did it happen and what did you think about it? Yeah, so growing up in Houston, uh, which is where I've been my whole life, I've been out at a place called River Oaks Country Club and kind of grew up playing all sports, but I, I remember distinctly my parents taking me out to the range, the front side of the range, when I was about three. Golf course has changed a lot since then, but I just remember uh, having the club in my hand and, and really feeling like this was something that I could enjoy for a long time. And when I got a little bit older, uh, watching some of the guys on TV like Tiger Woods was a huge inspiration to me. And, and I think that's a big reason as to why I'm, I'm still playing today. Three years old. Dad was a player? Mom was a player? Both my parents, actually. Okay. So it's, it runs in the family, no yeah. doubt about that. And my, both sides of my grandparents play. Golf has a deep history in the Hammer family. When did you start competing then? If golf was something you sampled at three years old, your first tournament was? The U.S. Kids Tournament in Kingwood at this, uh, the Forest Course. I remember having my dad on the bag with a little caddy bib that said hammer on it. And uh, with my U.S. Kids clubs, uh, I remember going out there and playing a modified course five-hole tournament. And I think one of the first tournaments I ever played in, I actually, I actually kicked my ball and I didn't know what the repercussions of that would be. <laughs> and, uh, I quickly found out. So <laughs> you a, little bit of young. A, a little bit of a harsh introduction to the game, but it didn't, didn't stop me from keeping on. What frequency did you compete in tournaments at five, six, seven years old? Well, luckily growing up in Texas, we have us kids and little linksters and STPGA. And so I played quite a bit, but I had a bunch of other stuff going on with baseball. So I, I'd say I probably, from like ages five to, I don't know, nine, I probably played five or six tournaments a year. Nothing crazy. Just kind of kept it fun for a while. Still is, but I, I, I didn't take it too seriously. I just always had fun with it and wanted to come back and, and practice a little harder every time I finished a tournament. And where does that baseball fit in? You started that when, and when did you finish baseball? I think I was about six when I started playing baseball, and I kind of moved around from Little League to Little League, and then I started playing tournament baseball um, when I was nine or ten, and that took a lot of my time. I it definitely I definitely sacrificed a lot of my golf to be able to play baseball, and it, it kind of lasted all summer long, and then we had our fall baseball, and that, that kind of lasted until I was about 13. I, I still definitely found time to play golf, but it, it probably wasn't as much as I would have liked. Mm -hmm. Did you have a position you enjoyed playing in baseball? I uh, I wore number six and I played shortstop. Why number six? Given the given that I'm from Australia, you're gonna have to fill me in here. Why number six and why shortstop? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, but I just wore six from the very beginning, and okay. I always asked I, every coach I ever had. I was like, I want number six. Just give it to <laughs> me. That was just kind of my trademark, I guess. And shortstop was just I was good with good with a glove, had a good arm, and. Uh, just kind of had a knack for shortstop. Played some second base too, but I, I mainly played short. Now you play golf right-handed. Did you also throw right-handed? Threw right-handed as well. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I switched hit a little bit, but was always dominant right-handed. Take us back to youth golf coaching experience. When did you start getting lessons and who from? I didn't have a lesson for a long time. I kind of figured it out. Well, it, it definitely helped that my parents played so they could give me little pointers here and there. But we kept it a very feel-oriented game until... Um, I was about, I'd say, 11, 10 or 11, which is still pretty young. But I had grown up with uh, a guy named Bruce Davidson as a head pro at our, at our club. And he kind of watched me grow up. He knew my swing. And so I started kind of seeing him for an hour or two. At what frequency? Uh, I, I'd give it 
once every two months probably and it, it really only saw him when things were going a little sideways if everything felt felt good i i didn't mess with it but as i got older probably 12 13 14 i started to see him a lot more i would say and uh kind of saw what he was all about and his coaching philosophy and then yeah and then i uh transferred over after he left there comes a time and what i'm trying to unpack here is the choice for golf and golf becoming your passion was there an event or series of events and it doesn't need to be a competitive golf tournament it, it could be just a situation where you played against someone you look up to and you beat them more why did you pick golf over baseball or golf over anything else is what i'm trying to unpack here i felt like i could control everything in golf and um, whereas in baseball you're relying on a team with nothing wrong with that but mm -hmm. um i always just loved how golf relied on on me and only me and this is small but i remember playing in our junior club championship at at river oaks when i was young and i remember beating guys four and five years older than me when i was nine or ten mm -hmm. and i thought that was really cool because in baseball you're playing guys your own age you're never playing guys that are four or five years older than you. And um, I think that just gave me a lot of confidence, motivation, and helped me choose golf as, as my passion. And I, I continued to play baseball for a few years after that. Then I won a U.S. Kids World Championship when I was 12, um, kind of- At Pinehurst? At Pinehurst, mm -hmm. number four, which was a lot of fun. And that was kind of my first taste of, uh, of big tournament golf, and I won it. And I had, to, I had just come off a long baseball season. We just lost in state. And at that point, I knew that golf was, was uh, the path that I wanted to go down just because I felt like I had a, uh, a real talent in it and could, and could show it. Yeah, that's interesting you say that, that word talent. And I don't mean to lead you down any slippery slope here, but I do want to understand how you think about talent versus how you think about refined skill. Do you see those two things as completely different? different capacities? Yes and no. The reason I say no is because people be can become really great at something through practice. But on the other hand, I, I, I feel like talent is something that you can't teach. And especially in golf, there's certain shots and feels that you have that I think you're born with that uh, other people might not have. And like, just for example, I, I've been I've played a lot of tournament golf now, and so I've noticed guys choosing shots that just I would never choose. And they don't fit the situation. They don't fit the situation, I, at least I feel. And obviously that comes from experience, but I think having an innate ability to recognize what shot you need to hit and really being able to see it is something that you can't teach. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I think that's a big distinction between talent and hard work. So let's take a quick break in the action to recognize one of our partners, Under Armour. It's Under Armour's mission to make all athletes better through passion, design, and the relentless pursuit of innovation. And that ethos or mission statement couldn't be more aligned with the Earn Your Edge podcast. We're thankful to be powered by Under Armour. You mentioned before two key moments, playing up essentially against kids that were four or five years older than you in the junior club championship. And that being one of those experiences where you realized, mm, I'm good at this. And then the first quote unquote sampling, massive success winning US kids worlds at Pinehurst. That was the attaboy that said, I'm really good at this, but you've had many more along the way, haven't you? 
I want to try and unpack many of those, particularly we'll get there to the US Open when you're 15. But what, what I also want to understand is that, and I want the listeners to understand is you don't go through this journey to excellence, to high performance, no matter what way you want to term it, without some difficulty, without some hiccups. Can you tell me about one or two hiccups along the way that were difficult to go through, but yet you came out the other side recognizing that you're better because of them? A hundred percent. There's been, unfortunately, a lot of times like that, but I've come out better for it. Starting when I was 14, I had a terrible year on the golf course. I Actually, it was coming off a year where I won like five or six times on the Legends Tour here in Texas. And so I had high expectations for myself, probably put a lot of pressure on myself to perform this next year. I mean, I remember distinctly playing in an AJGA in uh, Shreveport, the David Toms Jr. And I remember shooting a million. I mean, for me, I was like, I remember shooting like 83 the first day Mm -hmm. and having absolutely no idea what I was doing out there. And it just felt foreign for some reason. And golf had never felt like that to me before. I ended up actually hurting myself in that tournament, hurting my elbow and had to withdraw in the third round. But I just remember how uncomfortable I felt on the golf course. And it was a feeling that kind of stuck with me for a while. And and I, I, I tried my hardest to make sure I never felt that again. And I think that really kind of motivated me to practice a little bit harder and just have confidence in my game because it had got me so far. And I think that really has carried over to today. And it's a big reason why I've been able to play in big tournaments like the U.S. Open and, and, and succeed on other levels. Mm-hmm. You mentioned two words that I feel like it's very important for us to spend a little bit more time uh, understanding, understanding your perspective inside. And most importantly, the experience that's led you to this point of being one of the best amateurs in the world and playing in some amazing golf tournaments with some amazing achievements to this point. Uh, the first was pressure. You came off a really good year when you were 13. I think is what you said, winning five or six times in the Legends Tour. And then you felt pressure. Where does pressure come from? And why do you think you feel it? Pressure comes from expectations and uh, trying to, I think, please other people's expectations. If I was just uh, really thinking about playing for myself, I don't think I would have ha- been so nervous or had so much pressure on me. Um, and I, I want to do well, obviously, but I think when I was young, when I was 14, I really thought I needed to uh, kind of meet other others' expectations. And honestly, it probably scared me a little bit. And that was a reason I, I wasn't playing aggressive, confident golf. I, I started, especially that one tournament that I mentioned, we, I was playing a little bit scared. And that's not something that I've noticed that you can ever do because it just it completely changes how you swing, how you putt. So it's detrimental is, is your, your experience to play trying to avoid mistake, mistake avoidance being bad. Rather, your experience has told you that it's a whole lot better if I'm chasing, pursuing success. Right, like playing to play great rather than playing to not fail. Exactly. And, uh, and I think that was something that I had to learn the hard way, unfortunately, but I've come out on the other side. Mm-hmm. When we go back to the second comment that you made, it's very important for us to understand, but aside is every junior golfer in America who has visions of playing at a high level probably also has visions of playing in college golf, right? Playing at a division one school where you're going to go to university of Texas. How did you deal and what's your advice to other junior players in dealing with the pressures of I've got to impress? It's no easy task. I committed really young. So I committed when I was in eighth grade, I think I was 14 
and and that was actually before my bad year and i think it honestly when they were, when coaches were watching me and kind of judging me i guess i it inspired me to play well just because they were watching i felt like i uh, trying to impress them and it, it helped me it really got me focused to do that but once i committed i felt like uh, the only thing i could do was like fail and that that would screw me up and and i think that kind of sunk into my head and didn't allow me to play my best golf and and once i started going down that path and saw myself playing poorly it just kind of spiraled and i was able to get myself out of it but it was it was not an easy year but back to back to the question it's it's not easy to play in front of coaches especially if that's a dream of yours and i I really think you just have to block it all out and realize that they know you're not perfect you're not going to hit every shot perfect. It's just they really want to see how you handle yourself out there. They know you can play well. They've seen scores that you've shot. So it, it's not it's not all based on what they see that day. And I think it's easy to think that this is your only chance. If you screw it up, you're done. I think it's a great message right there that it's not your only chance. And then deeper into that message right there you just gave us was it's actually a small part about the physical skill. The, the ability to control a ball from point A to point B that they're looking to observe. But maybe even more importantly than that, I'm speaking for college coaches here, and your experience as a player being recruited is it's more about character. It's how you demonstrate an ability to navigate around the golf course and deal with the success and lack thereof, the, the bad breaks you get. Exactly. They, I, th- I think they're really looking for kids that look to be coachable. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a terrible attitude and are getting mad all over the place, they're, they're, they're not going to want to look at you for very long because they want guys that are going to be great for a team atmosphere and uh, really contribute to the whole character of the team yeah. itself. Yeah. And guys that have hot tempers are not always great fits and, and guys that are able to uh, kind of hold it together and, and kind of turn it around are guys that they want to have on the team. word that you brought up was confidence and confidence is essential correct me if i'm wrong in your experience as a player to play to the best of your ability but where does confidence come from then confidence comes from success to a point Mm -hmm. i think um obviously winning and seeing yourself succeed is is a great factor because you're bouncing the step doesn't it 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 does no doubt about it and you kind of walk around with your head held high Mm -hmm. at at tournaments um but you can easily have confidence just from yourself. There's guys that have no business having confidence and they do. And you can see it in the way they walk and the way they, they swing the club and it gives them the best chance to play well. And even if you're playing poorly, if you have confidence that you can shoot a good score, or hit a good shot, your odds of hitting that shot are exponentially higher than if you're scared or feel like you're going to hit a, a poor one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, positive thoughts and kind of go hand in hand with confidence because if you're thinking positively about a shot that you're about to hit or a tournament that you're about to play in, you'll probably have a lot more confidence walking onto the first tee. Is there anything that you would tell yourself in those moments where you had to summon more confidence, more trust, more faith in yourself? Well, I think that goes back to success. Um, seeing myself succeed at on like kind of every stage so far is something that I can fall back on. I always tell myself, you play in the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. like this is easy. Yeah. Just go out and get it, and and that normally calms me down because 
most of the guys I'm playing with haven't played in U.S. Opens yet, so sure. <laughs> uh, it's kind of I have a little edge there. Uh, but yeah, no, it, I, I I tell myself I have to tell myself a lot that you're you're great and no reason for you not to have any confidence here. Tell us about the U.S. Open at 15 years old. Were you playing well leading up to the qualifier? I believe it was at uh, Northwood, wasn't it? Go for it. You tell the story. So I played. I was playing in this junior PGA qualifier the day before with Noah and Ben. I remember you beat both of them. <laughs> by one. Yep. I think I beat Noah by one. It was tight. I played well. I think I shot nine under. Mm-hmm. And I was big because I wanted, really wanted to play in the junior PGA. But little did I know the next day I'd have such a great day. And I just had all of this momentum leading into my qualifier. And the course Northwood was is a pretty short golf course. It's pretty tight. And uh, that set up great for me because I hit it really short when I was 15 and just kind of plotted my way around the course and, and made everything on the greens. And I remember shooting 64 in the first round and going in to eat lunch and I couldn't eat for 40 minutes. Why is that? Because you looked at the scoreboard and realized? I looked at the scoreboard and realized like I have a chance. And I was so nervous. Were you leading by? I was tied for the lead. With? Rod Pampling. And I've seen Rod's name growing up, and I was like, I should not be tied with Rod Pampling <laughs> right now. The entire field is filled with PGA <laughs> yeah, exactly, players. Exactly. Names I was, you've seen on leaderboards before. Yeah. Uh, I was playing with Martin Flores, and I, I beat him in the morning, and I was in a, an uncomfortable place. But then I went out uh, on the first hole and made like a 20 footer for birdie, and nerves completely went away, and was able to play a really solid round of golf and shot 68 and made it by two. Mm hmm came in second in the qualifier and it was just huge for me and my confidence and just my golf game in general. And then the whole US Open experience was a little overwhelming for me. There was a lot going on with the media at home and the media when I got there and uh, just being so young, it was obviously it was incredible. It was, it was the best week of my life to this point, but it wasn't like, it wasn't easy uh, being out there just because I hadn't seen anything like that. I mean, it's still golf, but it's a production what Mm -hmm. they do. And, uh, I hadn't really been exposed to that. I mean, it was, I'd never been to a major. The only term I'd ever been to is the shell Houston open. And I was there for not very long. So get to do it inside the ropes was pretty special. Each 15 hours of daylight feel like they're two hours. Time moves fast and you, you probably arrive at seven o'clock in the morning and you leave at 7 p.m. and you feel like you've been there such a short period of time and you're trying to soak it all in, right? Yeah, exactly. I, re- I remember the smile on your face was, from ear to ear. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I got there really early. I got there the Friday before and just literally I played way too much golf, but uh, it was I soaked it all in and played with everybody that I could. And Was there anything memorable that stuck out, something that you carry with you other than the experience itself? Because we can look at the entire experience or we can pick out maybe people that said things to us or the events within the week that stick with you today that you kind of anchor to or have filled up in terms of like a knowledge gap that you had back then? Yeah, nothing huge jumps out to me, but there were a lot of little things that I had never been exposed to. I I just remember watching guys like Jordan and Patrick Reed and uh, Webb Simpson kind of pot their way around the practice rounds and really kind of take in what and how they do it. So that was interesting to me. And it was a kind of a learning curve because I probably didn't know how to do practice rounds as well as it's a very formulaic approach, isn't it? It, yeah. it really is. They've got everything mapped out. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was, that was interesting to, interesting to see, but guys were super nice to me. I was kind of look, looking forward to see how they kind of treated life out there mm-hmm. and they had fun. And 
I'm sure it's a lot easier to have fun when you're playing well, but they, it wasn't just, it didn't look just like a job to them. They looked like they were enjoying it. So that's something that I was able to take away from it and we'll hopefully put to use down the road. What does the mission map look like for you? What, what's the Everest? Best player in the world. No doubt about it. I mean, if I'm not, I might as well quit now if I'm not trying to do that because mm-hmm. nothing else really motivates me. I, I, I want to become best player that I can be. And, and hopefully that's, that puts me to the top. Does that mean you have a well thought out plan in your head for every day that you go about practice? Does that mean that you have some sort of fluid, flexible timeline in your mind? What does that look like is what I'm, how do you visualize that, that developmental arc? Yeah. When I practice, I'm a little more focused on short term, a little more focused on the tournament that I'm preparing for. But having said that, I'm always looking at the end of the line, kind mm-hmm. of, because everything that I'm doing practicing is, is just refining my game and, and making me a better golfer. So it's not always not always easy, but it's it definitely, the goal of becoming the best player in the world motivates me on a daily basis. If some days I'm having a hard time getting out of bed to go out in the 110 degree heat, I just mm-hmm. tell myself, hey, this is what you want. This is what you signed up for. And this is this is what you're dreaming about. So go out and get it. And that normally gets me right out of bed. Yeah, sure. And I think your comment right there is a good segue into the next question. And actually a response to the next question is, what do you think distinguishes you from other players that you've played against in junior golf now that you're waving farewell to junior golf? that's allowed you to separate yourself from that pack. Maybe, maybe players that you look to and you're like, wow, there's talent or there's skill. There's a player who I think I'm going to be fighting or competing with for years to come, maybe into college golf, and they haven't necessarily climbed the height you've climbed. What are, what are your differences separating skills? Yeah, I think in high school there are a lot of distractions, and it's not easy to kind of stay on a straight road, but I've been able to do that, and I think that's – what separated me from some of my peers. I remember growing up playing, playing golf against some guys that I really thought were going to be really, really good. And they've kind of faltered off, kind of stopped playing in tournaments and really kind of lost their passion for golf Mm -hmm. and surprised me. But at the same time, I, I knew it would happen to some people and it's not easy to keep your motivation for all through high school and into, into college because I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going on and, and going out and practicing every day, it's not glorious or anything. Um, and some people want, might want to see instant results. And I've kind of been able to tell myself that I've got a lot of time and everything I'm doing right now is making me a better golfer. So when I've seen people grow up with me and the people that I've thought that would be really good, a lot of them have, or I'm still playing against today, like Noah and Ben. And I, I knew from day one that I would be playing with them. But other guys have, have not met my expectations. And, and I think that just speaks to motivation. Yeah. Yeah. My expression is purpose is the engine that drives high performance or the ascent to being elite, best in class, whatever you want to call it. And that purpose was demonstrated in your statement that if I really want to do this, then it doesn't matter that it's 107 degrees outside or that's the forecasted temperature. I'm going to get out there and do it because I know what my purpose is. And so therefore backing into the action that that gets me to that goal means that I shouldn't worry too much about the temperature or the state of my game because I know that I've got to go out there and make it better no matter the conditions. That speaks very well to that. (music) 
Speak of culture. You're playing an individual sport, but yet at the same time, you're about to join University of Texas's golf team. You're therefore going to embed yourself into the culture, but you're also coming out of a culture. That's the culture of junior golf. What has that meant to you? And there are other particular people or organizations that you'd say were, without a doubt, hands down, instrumental in helping you along the way. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely about to make a big change. And it's a little bittersweet to say goodbye to junior golf, but I'm ready to kind of move on, especially just seeing all my peers go to college and looking up to them my whole life. It's hard to kind of look down at, uh, at the kids who are younger than me now. But uh, yeah, there's been a lot of people and organizations that have helped me to get to where I am today. But I, I really think the biggest one for me was the Legends Tour here in Texas. And I just... I played in a bunch of tournaments with them against great fields statewide. And I just remember meeting a lot of friends that I have today in those tournaments and competing against them and seeing myself succeed. And I think that that really jumpstarted me into having confidence and success at the AJGA level. Obviously, they've done a world of good for me, too. But I think the reason that I was able to play so well throughout junior golf is because of my experience at a level below AJGA. And there's no doubt in my mind that they've helped me get to where I am today. And I, w- I wouldn't want to do it over again if I got the chance because they've just really kind of formed me into the golfer that I was for the past few years. And now coming out on the other side, junior golf is just kind of as a whole, really just improved my game and my mental side of the game as well. And you're amazingly supported by mom and dad and collective of family. Can you speak to how that has shaped and helped you develop into the amazing young person, young man you are, but in the context of being a high-level athlete? My parents and family and my sister are just amazing. Uh, They've done so much for me because, I mean, I've seen kids without families trying to go down the same road and it, it does not look fun. And I've been lucky to have my parents with me every step of the way. They've been so encouraging and, and their encouragement has really just given me the confidence that I need to really continue this journey because I mean they've been so supportive and if they hadn't been supportive of of what I've been doing last few years it would be it would have been a lot harder because there's just support is everything I think with with a golfer because there's bad times there's good times and and it's hard to get through those bad times sometimes and having a support system around you is crucial but not only on the golf course they've just been so great to live with and <laughs> that sounds funny but right we can't uh, pick our parents yeah 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 you've, you've got some amazing ones don't <laughs> you <laughs> they've been they've been great uh their school and everything and have taught me a lot of great lessons and i wouldn't wouldn't be here today without them so and you went the homeschool route there for a short period of time didn't you i did i uh, did positives it. negatives pros cons uh yeah so i can speak to that i did it junior year and I'll just say it, I absolutely hated it. Mm. It was terrible. Was it beneficial for your golf, though? It probably was. I definitely got my practice schedule was a lot uh, more open, and I got to do what I want on a daily basis. But I just absolutely hated being at home alone and not being able to see people. Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty social person, so I, I, I like talking to people and kind of having a life outside of golf. Uh, I would go to the golf course and... I have friends out of the golf course, but it was just a little bit different to me. I I feel like having a well-balanced life is important to kind of putting golf in perspective. So I was glad I did it for a golf 
uh, from a golf perspective that year. But I, I, I went back to, to uh, Kincaid, uh, which is where I went uh, for the previous years, uh, my senior year, and it was one of the best decisions I've made. And I really think that actually helped my golf game too, mm. uh, just because I went back and had a different outlook on a game where it, because I used to put so much pressure on myself. I was like, man, all I do is play golf. I better play well at this tournament. Right. And going back to school just kind of lightened me up a little bit. Yeah, I understand. And maybe that um, lends itself quite nicely to the last question I'll ask you here. If you had one piece of advice for a young player that you were mentoring to reach the heights that you've reached, what would that piece of advice be? And maybe it's not one, man, maybe it's, maybe it's a collective statement of two or three things. I think I would just tell the up and coming golfers to really just kind of keep your eyes straight ahead. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in life and it's easy to get distracted. Like I kind of, I talked about earlier, but having the right mindset and having the right or having the motivation to know what you want to accomplish is huge. And having like a specific goal that you want to meet, whether it is a short term or long term goal is crucial. And because that that allows you to practice to meet those goals rather than just kind of flailing away mm-hmm. on the on the practice silly or the golf course, not really knowing what you're doing, and uh, that won't get you very far. And so I think if you have if you're practicing to meet a goal, I think that is really important, and that's helped me a lot because I've been able to keep just kind of keep my get plotting away. Yeah. Fantastic advice. So you're a dreamer and a doer. So many people dream, but lack that initiative to take action, to invest the sweat equity and do the work, that blister forming, skin cracking, hand bleeding and callus forming type of work that's needed to grow from good to great and then great to world class. And that's most definitely what sets you apart. I know that both as an observer and also as a member of your team. So I thank you for your thoughts and time for our audience, but moreover, thank you for being you and allowing me to share that journey with you. Hey, you got it, Cam. Thanks for everything. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Team Altus and Instagram at Altus Performance. Also, thanks to Cordy Walker for his wonderful production work on this and coming episodes of Earn Your Edge. 